0: We, Jenny, you and I have a shared history together and we're two different women and we had two different relationships, but we had the relationship with the same man. So really, how different was it, you know, at the end of the day, it felt very comforting to me. And the last thing I would have done was say no and oh, no, I don't want to speak with you. Like you were a bit of a lifeline for me. So I just felt really, really grateful and I felt seen. If that makes any sense to you, like I was real, my relationship with him was real, and you are real, and your relationship with him was real, and we mattered. And if only we could find that comfort within each other, then that was better than nothing. I needed people, and you were my people, you know?
1: This is it, actually. Take a sip and grab a seat, because this is it. Well, hi there, it's me, Jenny B. Thanks for clicking play. Today's episode is probably one of my favorite episodes that I've ever done. It's got a ton of all the things that I love. Stories, obviously, a stranger, big feelings, there's heaviness and lightness, there's tears and laughs and connection, and that's what this is all about, actually. When I was younger, I think it seemed most obvious that we connected with people through fun and happy experiences. You know, school, camp, birthday parties, extracurriculars, things like that. It probably didn't occur to me until much later in life that real connection actually happens in sad places too. Shared experience, weird moments, places that you would never expect. In May, 2021, I got the news that my ex-boyfriend had committed suicide. We met while I was living in London in my 20s, and we worked at the same restaurant. We were friends first, for a really long time actually, and super close for years. So when he confessed his love to me one night, I was like, are you crazy? Hells no. (laughs) We kept hanging out like we always did, and he would casually throw in a reminder in front of everyone that he was just waiting for me to say, okay, you can take me on a date. We'd do big karaoke nights with our co-workers and he'd always get up for a few songs and usually one was pointed directly at me. And sometimes he'd call out to me across the restaurant and my face would go bright red and he'd stand on a table or a chair and tell anyone who'd listen that he wanted to be my boyfriend. Subtlety was not his specialty. One night we were out in a big group and he was holding the whole room's attention with his jokes and his banter. He was charming and funny and very quick-witted. I don't know if it was the drinks or the cigarette smoke or the general buzz in the room, but I saw him in a different light that night. It kind of freaked me out, to be honest, but I thought, maybe I'll just flirt a little and see how it feels. I think he had all but given up on me at that point, so for the first time ever, he wasn't giving me any attention. I mean, could I be any more typical? (laughs) You just know that spurred me on even more. So at one point, he was looking for the big book of songs, and I had it in front of me, and he came to grab it, and I smiled up at him sweetly, and he said, "'Yes, Besworth?' I leaned up towards him and whispered in his ear, "'Okay.'" Well, there was no way he was going to let me off that easy, so he laughed and said, "'Okay, what?' I said, "'Are you really going to make me say it?' And he said, "'Damn straight I am. Actually, can I get everyone's attention, please?' Besworth has something she'd like to say. (laughs) That was him. We were together for three years. He was the first boyfriend I ever lived with. We moved from London to Toronto together, and we had a really good run. Years after we broke up and weren't in contact as much, I ran into him, and he looked really happy and healthy, and we hugged, and he told me all about his golden glow. It was because of a woman named Alexandra Golden. Yep, that's right actually golden. She was a ballerina and a lovely human by his account. He was over the moon about her. They got married and I saw pictures on Facebook and I felt so happy for them both knowing how in love he was. He and I mostly lost touch after that but we had a few casual back and forths over text. I found out years later that they were separated and ultimately got divorced. I never knew what happened but I quietly hoped that they were both okay. I sent him a message to tell him I was thinking of him. He never replied. When I found out that he had died and how he had died, I was frozen. I cried and had sleepless nights and I tried desperately to understand. On May 7th, 2021, two days after he died, I sent my ex-boyfriend's ex-wife a message on Facebook. I'm Jenny B. and this is Alexandra Golden, actually. Okay, so hi. <laughs> Thank you so much for doing this. Just honestly, when I was thinking about this season and the things that I wanted to do and the people I wanted to talk to, you, I was out on a walk with my dog and I was like, I have to talk to Alexandra. I don't know. I just, it was something that I felt really drawn to. So I so appreciate you saying yes so of quickly. Course. You're wonderful. So I'm just going to take us back for a second. When I first heard about our collective ex, which was my ex boyfriend and your ex husband, I was horrified and upset and shocked and processing it. It didn't seem real for such a long time. But one of the first things that I knew that I wanted to do was talk to you. (laughs) And maybe that's weird. We had never met. We had never spoken, but I messaged you right away on Facebook and you agreed to a call. From my perspective, you didn't hesitate at all. You just gave me your number. You were just like, yes. Can you tell me what went through your head when you got my message? Like, did you know who I was? Why did you agree to talk to me?
0: So first of all, I I definitely knew who you were. He, as you know, was not one to live in the past, so to speak. But he, he told me a lot about you. I think you were a part of his life when his journey really began. You were a sort of a comrade. You were his love, but you were also a comrade. And you moved to the big city together. He told me that you'd had a very strong friendship for a while before you got into a a romantic relationship, I think he had very deep appreciation of you as a person. And it wasn't that he was private or shut off. If I asked him about an ex or, you know, his past relationships, he was never guarded. He would never say, Oh, I don't want to talk about that or, you know, whatever. As you know, he was a very, very kind person, but he, I I mean, it sounds kind of—I don't know. He he lit up, you know. You were someone that was, I think, very pivotal in his life, very important to him. He had that tattoo that morning.
1: It was Matisse, (laughs) Matisse, Matisse. the blue lady. Yeah. Thank
0: you, Matisse's blue period. Yeah. As soon as I saw it, because he had another tattoo on one arm that said Duke, which, as you know, was his nickname, and then he had the blue lady close to his heart, and. I remember when I first saw him without his shirt on, and I was like, that's a very random tattoo to have, you know, Matisse and not typical. And that's that's how he started to share the story of him and Jenny. And I thought that was really, I don't know, I thought that was really romantic and special. And it drew me more to him because I thought, you know, if you can have such regard for someone, you're not jaded, you're not bitter, you're not angry, then but qualities that I want to get to know more.
1: That's a really, really strong way of sort of dissecting for lack of a better word, a person, because I agree with you, you know, I I've stayed friends with a lot of my exes or people that I've dated and, I, and a lot of people don't understand that, but even if you're not close to that person and and how you speak about that person, yes, it says a lot about them, but it sure as heck says a lot about you as well. And, and he were right. He, you are right. He's was very, very kind. And he liked to move on from things. And I I'm so I'm like beaming. My ears are hurting from smiling so big because it's so nice to, to know that he felt that. And he held that. And I talked to him a few times, several times I would say, and then, and then we fell out of touch. But when he first started seeing you and dating you, if you were the love. I was like this Alexander Gol- Golden of all names. This- amazing last name she was like the golden girl um and I had heard so much about you so it's so was so special for me to be able to talk to you about this and to to share this with you why did you agree to talk to me
0: for one thing I wanted to meet you when him and I were together and please believe me when I say it wasn't out of jealousy or you know I need to size this lady up he didn't speak of you that way. You know, he didn't throw your relationship in my face as a, she was the greatest, you need to step up. It wasn't like that, but he spoke so highly of you. I was just I really want to meet this person, you know, like I just, I love meeting people <laughs> and I'm very, very much like you. I have maintained relationships with everyone in my life that mattered to me. These people were momentous for me. You know everybody taught me something. I learned from every relationship I was in, and because we didn't necessarily work out romantically, it doesn't mean that I don't want to know you anymore. I'm a little jaded now, unfortunately, because of our shared experience. But I wasn't. You know, I wasn't a jaded person. I'm a very optimistic, hopeful person. I never had that need to cut ties with people, and and luckily too, you know, I was never hurt, damaged, abused, so I never needed to. Walk away from that. And another reason I was so keen to speak with you, and this is really selfish, and I hope this doesn't come across the wrong way, but I was his ex wife when it happened. And luckily, I was close to his sister. I'm close to both of his sisters now, and she's the one that notified me, but I felt really alone, really, really alone because in my new world, I'm in a new relationship. I have his family now, and our current circle of friends didn't know him, so I just felt like I didn't have a seat at the table to participate with the family grief, to participate in the funeral arrangements, not doing anything at the funeral except for attending, and it felt so wrong on so many levels, selfishly, right? Because I spent so much time with him. And he was my husband, and he was my person and my partner. And suddenly, I was the outsider. And I didn't know what to do with that. And when you reached out to me, it was so overwhelming to me, because it felt like there's someone else out there in my shoes. And she gets it. And we, Jenny, you and I have a shared history together. And We're two different women and we had two different relationships, but we had the relationship with the same man. So really, how different was it, you know, at the end of the day, it felt very comforting to me. And the last thing I would have done was say no and oh, no, I don't want to speak with you. Like you were a bit of a lifeline for me. So I just felt really, really grateful. And I felt seen if that makes any sense to you, like I was real my relationship with him was real and you are real and your relationship with him was real and we mattered. And if only we could find that comfort within each other, then that was better than nothing. I needed people and you were my people, you know? Yeah.
1: Yeah. That's, you have tipped the words right out of my mouth. That's exactly how I felt. We talked for almost two hours. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was so incredibly comforting For Mm -hmm. me to hear about your relationship, that was that was almost something that surprised me. I didn't really know what I was going in for. It was selfish, hundred percent. You're right; it was absolutely selfish. I needed to talk to somebody else that knew him, somebody that was now, I guess, quote unquote, on the outside. But when I started, you know, sharing with you, and and I remember you saying to me very specifically, like, "Are you okay if I ask you questions about your relationship?" And I was so pleased by that. It's so hard to explain. And then when you gave me that same grace, it was just, I don't know. It was just comforting is the best word that I that I can come up with and being able to share with you. How did you feel ultimately once you maybe got off the phone that you had just connected in this way with really a virtual stranger? I felt so good because I felt like
0: I had somebody out there who I could talk to somebody out there who understood. I've lost people in my life. This was a first, suicide. I didn't know where to go. I didn't know where to look. I am 100% of my soul is moved by music. And I couldn't listen to music. I didn't want to hear music. I didn't know how to feel anything anymore. That might sound a bit dramatic, but I was just so... Lost, so shocked, so incredibly heartbroken, so full of questions, so full of guilt, so full of remorse. And knowing that I had even the smallest connection with a stranger got me through. It got me through because, as much as I had my friends and my family and my partner who was incredible, I have to say that it wasn't the same as being able to talk to somebody who knew him, who got it. I had to play my cards very close to my chest when it came to his family, because I was dying inside, they were dying inside. And I didn't feel like it was my place to tell them how sad I was or call them and just cry because I felt like I didn't deserve it. I wasn't in his life currently. So it was just to just such a mess of emotion and, and it still is in so many ways. You know, I, this, the one thing I believe about suicide, it is just, (laughs) we seek closure as human beings, right? We need to know where we're going. We need to know where things end, when we can start again, when we can move this way, that way, left, right, up and down. And with suicide, you get zero closure, zero I'm a bit of a control freak. I have a bit of OCD. I have extreme anxiety issues and this was just like the worst case scenario. You you were a lifeline. I'm glad you're out there. I'm glad that I know that if I'm having a moment where I want to remember him and laugh or remember him and cry I know I can call you and I know it won't be weird. I don't know why I know that. I just know. <laughs> I know.
1: It's it, It's so weird that it's not weird. <laughs> it's just like, we're so cut from the same cloth. I need closure. I'm a control freak. I like all my ducks in a row. And yeah. and, and you're so right to be left so open-ended. That's really what that that is um, because we're left her own devices. We've been left her own devices to figure this out. And there is no figuring it out. I mean, that's what we've, that's what we've learned. How did you find out that he had taken his life? And this is a dumb question maybe, but like, did it surprise you ultimately? I worked for my father
0: at his accounting firm and it was close to the end of the day. I got a message, a text message from his sister saying, sister, I need you to call me as soon as possible. And I sent back saying, leaving work soon, and sent two kiss emojis. I had no idea. I, I thought it was good news. I thought she was calling to tell me, you know, she got another puppy. Or uh, she's really, really funny, really strong, funny woman. And so, you know, with our relationship, I just assumed it was going to be something positive. And so I got in my car, and I waited for my Bluetooth to flip over. And I pulled out of the parking lot. And I just made a left-hand turn into traffic, and she answered, and the first thing she said was, are you driving? And I said, yeah. And she said, I need you to pull over. And then I thought it was his mom. I thought maybe his mom passed away or somebody in the family that I had a closer relationship to. So I put my signal on, I pulled over, and I put my car in park. And it's funny because I can't remember what I had for dinner last night, but I will never forget this. And I said, what's going on? And she said, Darren committed suicide. And I opened my car door and I threw up on the street. It was so instant and it was so visceral. And I screamed, I think I screamed. And I asked what, what, what multiple times. She was devastated obviously needless to say. And I knew I couldn't just sit on the side of the street. So I did a U-turn. Somebody up there was looking out for me because I didn't hit any cars. And I did a U-turn. I pulled back into the office and my father was just getting into his car. And I rolled my window down and I just screamed that Darren was dead. And he said, get out of the car. And I got out of the car, and. He helped me back into the office. I sat in a chair. He got me a bottle of water. I was literally hyperventilating. He then made two phone calls. He called my partner and he called my mother and my parents and my partner and I live close to one another geographically. So my partner went and picked up my mom and brought her and himself to the office so that someone could drive me home because there's no way I could drive It felt like eternity until they got there. And I think my dad was just so sad, so shocked. And I think it was killing him to see me so upset. And he did everything right. And then I realized that I had to call his best friend. So I called him and he answered right away. And I asked him, are you driving? And he said, no. And He said, what happened? And I hadn't spoken to him in over three years. And I cried out the words. And he just yelled, fuck no. Unfortunately, in that moment, I wasn't able to stay on the phone with him very long and comfort him because I was just a hot mess, which is an understatement. I remember when I was at the office because I suffer from anxiety. And my dad said, do you have any Ativan in your purse? And I said, it's in the car. And he said, you need to, you need to take one because I just couldn't catch my breath. I couldn't, I, I never in my life, thank God until that moment experienced anything like it. I mean, I still cry all the time. I mean, I have this, this spider web on my ceiling and it looks like his name. Isn't oh that stupid?
1: God, that's crazy. It, it
0: looks like how he wrote and I refuse to vacuum it. Like, it's just so, so stupid. But I'm just like, no, no, he's here in a spider web. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds I about right. Was like, yeah, you know, like all these little things that happen. I had a dream about him that night. This was pretty fantastical. This dream it was so real. Oh, my goodness. He was in a hospital bed and my current partner, his ex was sitting on the hospital bed with him and she's alive and well, thank goodness. I don't know. It was so weird. It was like I was in the room, but he couldn't talk to me or he couldn't see me. And she looked at me and she said, he's okay. He just wants to be with his friends. Oh my God. I remember waking up and being like, that was just so what made no sense to me because all his friends were on earth alive and well. Yeah you know, so I really struggled with that. Um, And I know it's just a dream. But you know, these things like you kind of, you hold on to all of these things so tightly. I was desperately searching my phone for video to hear the recording of his voice. Yeah, it's just um,
1: so painful. And it's so surreal. Like as you're speaking. It's so surreal. Yeah, yeah. it's. I had a dream too. I had a couple the the night and then a couple after that were very, very real. Some made sense. Some made no sense. But even as I'm listening to you speaking, it sometimes it just doesn't feel real to me. I, I, I don't, mm-hmm. which is a normal reaction, of course, when someone dies and when, especially when someone dies in this way. But it's a very hard thing. Forget closure to wrap your head around even in a in a regular a regular old day.
0: Mm-hmm. It's very,
1: very difficult to try to understand, which mm-hmm. we never will. We'll never understand. But it's just the fact that he's no longer on this earth, which just trips me up in, in a million different ways.
0: Yeah. And I think
1: we both know what a joyful human
0: being he was. And you asked me earlier, was I surprised? In no universe would he have done this. Right. In no universe. Yeah. He was, um, he was my rock. Right. You know, he was so strong. He went through, as you know, sorry, I'll get myself together. No, don't. It's okay. He experienced so much trauma in his life. Our very first date, he told me his whole life story. We were at a bar that neither of us, this is a joke, neither of us would ever in a million years find ourselves. But my girlfriend had dragged me there and we met online. Him and I met online. I was, you know, super overly cautious. I've lived downtown since I was nine years old. So I was like, okay, I want to make sure that someone else at this bar knows me just in case he's a psychopath. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so she stayed clear and, and we both smoke cigarettes, so he, he said, do you want to go outside? And it was so cold outside. It was November, and we're smoking a cigarette, and he, he starts telling me what happened to his family. And I remember the cigarette in my fingers burned all the way down. Here's this guy showing up for a blind date with a potential psychopath. I could have been the psychopath you know, on a cold November night in an atmosphere that neither of us wanted to ever be in willingly. And, and he's just literally pouring out his heart to me and telling me, you know, all his secrets. And immediately, I remember the next day, he sent me a message on Facebook Messenger saying, I hope I didn't scare you off. And I remember thinking like, bloody hell, like, if anything, I just want to run to you and give you a hug. -hmm. Like the last thing you've done is scare me off. I I can't believe that you trusted me enough in our first meeting to share this with me. He was So so funny. He made everybody laugh. He was just so kind. He was the guy that, you know, held the door for everybody. If someone had a chore, he was like, oh, I'll do it. I'll do it. My circle of friends, I think they ended up loving him more than me at the end of the day. (laughs) And, and I, I mean that a little bit, you know, because he became family so Mm -hmm. instantly. I never in a million years would have thought that this is something that he would have done now after the fact, and I've had time to speak with his family and learn more. I could say retrospectively, okay, yeah, something wasn't right, Mm -hmm. but, at that time, having had no contact for such a long time. And the crazy part is, I called him two weeks before, randomly, it was COVID. And I was just driving my car. And I thought, you know what, screw you, you don't want to talk to me, I'll talk to your voicemail. Mm -hmm. And you know, his voicemail never changed. And I said, Hi, it's me. I know you don't necessarily want to talk. So I'm just gonna leave you a voicemail. And I I'm just thinking about you and I hope you're doing well and I hope you're staying healthy and this COVID is crazy and I'm always here if you want to talk. And then I, you know, said goodbye and hung up and kind of shrugged, you know, like maybe he'll call, maybe he'll text. He
1: probably won't. Then, you know, literally
0: two weeks later, like,
1: yeah. Wow. I didn't know that. I mean, That was one thing that I was always thinking about for myself too, is that there were times when I wanted to send a message Mm. or for whatever reason, if I saw that, you know, something got posted and I was like, oh, that just seems a little bit sort of off center of what he is or just the idea of checking in and my girls, because I've always spoken so highly of him. Mm-hmm. there was always a joke in this family that whenever I would sort of tell this, I'd start to tell a story about him. They'd go, "Ugh, Darren. <laughs> and it became this joke. And the family was like this perfect person, this wonderful person, yeah. Ugh, whatever. As you said, I remember him as yes, the funniest and the sweetest guy in the room. My mom adored him. My sister, my, my brothers, everyone loved him. He was generous and he was silly. Mm -hmm. I just always found that people gravitated to him. Like you wanted Mm -hmm. to be in his presence, which maybe sounds cliche after the fact, you know, someone's died, but it's true that I I, I don't remember him in any other way. and And that's who he was. So, you know, how do we as people who once knew and loved a person very much, how do you come to terms with accepting that there was actually more than what we saw or more that we just didn't know? Because you know, I hadn't known him for a long time, but I felt I knew him very well. And I've spent many moments thinking if I just sent the message, if I had just Mm -hmm. reached out more, it's the plight of people that are left behind, right? Something that
0: everyone has told me, don't read into it. It doesn't mean anything, but he was found at six o'clock in the morning. He, as you know, jumped off his balcony And I've spoken to his family since, and they put time of death anywhere between midnight, 3 a.m., 4 a.m. on May the 5th. May the 4th was our wedding anniversary, and I I can't not read into that. The woman that he was in a relationship with when he passed spoke to me over the phone I had a million and one questions. And she said that that night, he had made a steak and lobster, a surf and turf dinner. And that was what we had on our wedding night. And that was sort of our go to like, let's have a treat. Mm -hmm. As you know, the boy could cook, you know, (laughs) he could cook. So you know, and she had questioned him, what are you doing? And he said, I'm never eating chicken again. And I mean, she, she didn't know. So she just took it as he's sick of chicken, but he made himself this, you know, schmancy dinner and maybe it did mean nothing. Maybe the timing was random, but I find it very hard to believe that knowing that that was our wedding night. That was what we had for dinner. And maybe that's selfish of me, right? Maybe that's me wanting to believe that he still thought about me or he still cared about me, but I just find it I find it peculiar.
1: Yeah, it is incredibly peculiar, you know. For lack of ironic. Word. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, the timing of that for sure.
0: Yeah. And and at the end of the day, again, retrospectively, you know, people who experience trauma. I'm not a counselor. I am not a psychologist or a psychiatrist. So please forgive my ignorance with whatever I say next. But it is my belief that people who experience trauma, if they don't seek some kind of help, whether that is professional or that is confiding in a friend or a loved one, somewhat consistently, you know, not just tell your story once and shut it down, but share your pain, right? Isn't that what you and I are doing right now? We're sharing our pain in, in the hopes that maybe one listener will say, I felt like that. I get that. That helped me. Or maybe they'll get angry about it and say, Oh my God, these women, you know, but it, you know, we're, we're doing this for a reason. We're not just doing this to listen to ourselves talk. Cause it's not an easy topic. No, but I, I believe that, you know, he carried that trauma like a cancer that's what I believe. And I believe that he got to a point where he was so tired and he didn't want to carry it anymore. Mm -hmm. And I know that he loved his family. I know he loved his mother. I know he loved his sisters and his brother-in-law and his niece and his nephew to the ends of the earth. I know that in my bones. Mm -hmm. I, I know how much he loved his friends and family. This wasn't an act of anger. This wasn't something that he was flippant about, wasn't flippant about anything, Mm. anything. And I believe that he was just, he just got too tired.
1: That that's what I believe. And that oddly brings me some peace, Mm -hmm. you know, when my mom died, a friend said to me, grief is just love with no place to go.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Oh man. And I, you know, sometimes people always send you things when you're in in grief and and there's been a, a tragedy and some things stick and some things don't and that one just I don't know I just loved it I, it it felt really poignant to me and I try really hard to let grief exist and not push it yeah. away I always say it's like You know, walking through the muckiest muck, (laughs) you know, your feet, your feet are really heavy. You want to lay down. You don't want to keep going. But I do think it's part of the process and not even just in death, but in all types of loss. Actually had a friend say to me, if you're going
0: through hell, keep going. Right.
1: Yes, exactly. And I've been a runner, like, do not get me wrong. I have run Mm -hmm. from grief. I have run from loss. I have no judgment on how anybody wants to handle anything because you you don't know how you're going to be obviously in the moment. That's it. Um, And I've been in both places, but what were some things or some steps or just things that you did to ultimately help you try to handle this particular grief? First thing I did was upped my medication. (laughs) I'm not going to
0: lie. I call, I actually, my family doctor was his family doctor and she didn't break any confidential, confidentiality code, but she was extremely helpful. It was a dark time for sure. I mean, I wanted to die Mm -hmm. and, and that's horrific to say that because I have such amazing people in my life and I love my partner so very much and my parents and my brother and his family, but something just shuts down. You just want to lay down. You don't want to walk through the mud anymore. And that's, that's how I felt. Like I just wanted to close my eyes and go away. I'm so lucky, right? I had a, a force around me that wouldn't allow that. I spoke to a suicide grief counselor. He was just incredible. I remember, you know, we were emailing one another and he said, I will call at 430. And boy, oh boy, he called at 430. And when the phone was ringing, I remember thinking, like, what is this person going to say? Right. Like, really? What, what are they going to tell me that is going to make me want to get out of bed tomorrow? I don't want to say he didn't say too much, but he allowed me to talk, right. like really, really talk. And he asked me really tough questions and talk about a stranger right? This what? was during COVID. This wasn't even Zoom. I couldn't even see his face. I could only hear his voice. And I mean, man, was he put on this earth for that job because he had the most soothing, comforting <gasps> voice. It was like a melody. I don't know how else Amazing. to explain it. He was just this incredible human being that helped me. So that, that definitely made a difference. I, I YouTubed suicide TED Talks. I Googled, what do you do? What do you, how do you recover? I mean, I I did everything I thought I could to get information that would help me. And those things did help me. No question. No question. They helped me. But it really, at the end of the day, it was my family and his family. Ultimately, that got me through it. Just this last summer, I went to the cemetery with one of his sisters. And he was interred in the wall right next to his dad. And there's a photo of him. And she said, Do you wanna be alone for a bit? And I said, That would be lovely. And I pulled out two cigarettes and said, Do you wanna smoke? <laughs> like I'm sure anyone walking by was like, That girl needs help, you know? <laughs> and I put my iPhone down and I played our wedding song and I played five other songs and I, I talked to him like he was literally there. And I was like, Oh, I think you'll like the song. It just came out and you know, I just as I was literally sitting on the concrete, his photo was like right across from my eye line. So I just kind of had my hand on his photo and cried and laughed. And then it started to rain. I was like, yeah. of course, but this <laughs> is, this is good. You'll appreciate this. After about 25 minutes of sitting there and having my time, his sister and his niece come back. They're low. They're crunched down. And I thought his niece was crying. She was red in her face and, and she had tears in her eyes. And I thought, oh my God, this poor girl, you know. And then I realized she was laughing, and his sister was laughing. And the wall that he's interred in is about seven feet tall. And over that wall is more grass and actual graves. And there was a woman with her elderly mother digging someone's grave. Pardon? The daughter is yelling. Ma, keep an eye out. And we are just killing ourselves laughing. And now they're on their knees, and the, the daughter is throwing dirt and grass into a no frills grocery bag. Like she doesn't know what to do with it. And his niece is filming this. Now we've gotten in the car and we've driven a little further and we're like near cats, the three of us taking our heads out the window with, you know, all of us, our mascara running down our faces from crying to now this is the most ridiculous thing we've ever seen. And we all look at each other and we were like, he did that. Of course. He 100% was like, no, no, you're not going to go and cry. You're going to go and laugh. Right, it was just the most absurd ridiculous thing I've ever seen with my own eyes and it was just the perfect <laughs> I don't even know like there's no words like it was just it had him written all over it that scenario 100% it did oh you know God. like it's yes. just
1: socially awkward
0: horrible
1: like a practical (laughs) joke right though him him absolutely funny teasing joking all the things that he would have done
0: yeah absolutely and
1: shocking you like you not believing what you're seeing and him having a laugh about it a hundred
0: percent those those moments they save us they you really know, do, actually. They, they they take the heaviness away and they say, hold on, just focus on this little bit of crazy yeah. for a minute. <laughs> take a look over here at what's happening. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the grass is greener sometimes. It's so fucking true. <laughs> like, actually, literally. <laughs> yeah, like, but it worked for our favor, right? The grass was greener on our side in that right. situation.
1: I've had a lot of guilt in my life when I've come out from under dark clouds of like, the way I've handled something or the loss or the grief or the heartache. And then all of a sudden I start to feel happy again. Like after my, my mom died, even when I, I got divorced, I always felt like I was supposed to be walking around in pain. And the first time I felt happy, I was like, Oh, I shouldn't be feeling happy right now because if I feel happy, then that means I don't miss that person or that, mm-hmm. that thing didn't actually happen to me which is of course crazy because you're allowed Mm -hmm. to feel all sorts of things at the same time, which it took me a long time to learn that loss and grief always exists somewhere. That's what I believe. Do we ever actually move on from the loss? Like, what do you, what do you think about that? You know, I was just telling you, I sat with
0: him and had my moment and I left, I was driving home, really so cliche, literally into the sunset driving home. And I had, in my mind at that moment, all this closure, I said what I needed to say. I cried my little eyes out. I said goodbye. And for weeks, weeks, now somebody who's grieving will understand this weeks is like years. Mm -hmm. I didn't cry. I didn't feel sad. I was just like, I'm good. I'm healed. It's a miracle. And then (laughs) it always happens in my car. I have about 500 songs on my playlist and I have a range of taste in music and I'm in my car. And of course this song by Neil Diamond comes on and it's Mm -hmm. called hello again, which was his favorite Neil Diamond song. Mm -hmm. Well, if you are familiar with the song, it starts, hello, my friend, hello. And I just, Oh my God, you know, thanks a lot. You know, (laughs) (laughs) I was doing really well (laughs) and it takes nothing to bring you to your knees. Mm-hmm. And I think that is the, the part of grief that you have to accept is that it never goes away. And my girlfriend actually, who was his work wife, I feel like she needs a major shout out. Such a huge part for me in, in having comfort. But she sent me this YouTube video. This gentleman shows a rubber ball It's a rubber ball in a box and the rubber ball is grief and it bounces, 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 and it's hitting off all the walls and you're trapped in it. And then as life goes on, so to speak, and new memories are formed and new relationships are formed and your everyday life continues, that layers the grief. Mm -hmm. So the ball doesn't hit the wall as frequently, but it's, it's always there, right? You you become like a grief thief and you steal other people's comforts and some of them work for you and some of them don't. And maybe today that didn't work for me, but three weeks later it did. So you take anything you can, you, you, you become in the, in the best way, selfish and, and a thief because you just want as much love and comfort as you can find. And no matter how you get it, there's no judgment Because you need it. I believe that he believed in more because I bought him a a small bench for Christmas one year for him to put his running shoes on. And every Christmas day, we would get up, have coffee, open presents, and then he'd go for a run with his dad. And I don't believe that someone who doesn't believe in the afterlife would do something like that. Right. But this is what comforts me, right? He's with his dad, and hopefully not too soon but we will all meet
1: again. Just be best friends with everybody and have the best time. <laughs> that is the dream. I mean, my mom would have been <laughs> not happy to see him, but very happy to see him because no one could match up to him. Oh, she loved mm-hmm. him so much. Mm-hmm. So that gave me comfort. I thought, you know, well, if they're together, I don't know exactly what I believe, but I do believe that they are around us. And it, it, it doesn't have to be true to make you feel better, mm-hmm. right? That's it. That's it. You take what you can.
0: There is no judgment. There is no handbook. There's no right way. There's no wrong way. It's your way. And hopefully the people around you, your community of friends and family will help carry you through. We are not alone. And, and that's the part of grief that I find so evil is it makes you feel alone. It convinces you that you are all alone. And it's so far from the truth. He lives in my heart. And as long as my heart is beating, he's still there.
1: Why do you think it's important
0: to talk to strangers? Again, it's selfish. I get something out of it. You know, my partner, he teases me because we go on holiday and I'll say, I'm going to go get a coffee or an ice cream. And two hours later, I come back. And he'll text me, are you lost? (laughs) Like if I go through our text history, he's probably written that to me more than a dozen times. Are you lost? (laughs) Because I just met some wonderful chap from Great Britain, you know, and I, hey, where are you from? What do you know? What do you think of the place? Have you been here before? And I just want to be best friends with everybody I meet. You know, I'm just that little weirdo. It's interesting. You learn, you grow, you never know what the person around the corner is going to do for you. People can break you and people can make you. And I'm going to continue to talk to strangers in the grocery store. Even last night, a perfect example, I went to Longo's. I finished, I teach dance at night. And I went into Longo's to get something to eat. And all of the cash registers were demolished, except for two. And they are all self-checkout. And they all have plastic over them. They're clearly being built. And I go to the cash and this Gorgeous young lady, probably 20 years old, is working, and all these things are running through my head, and I thought, all I have to do is tap my card and leave. But for some reason, my verbal diarrhea started, and I said, is this going to affect your job? And she said, yeah, we all just got an email saying our hours will be drastically cut. And I said, I'm so sorry to hear that. Humans are so much better than machines. And she just looked at me like, thanks. Thanks for acknowledging that, that I'm a person and I need money to live in this world, you know, and I've just always been this, this weirdo. I just, I like to connect with people and I, I gain a lot of insight from other people and their experiences. So why not share? Why not learn? Like, what's the harm?
1: There's no harm. You're my favorite kind of weirdo. (laughs) <laughs> my kids are always making fun of me but guess what the funny thing is is that now my oldest my youngest is getting there for sure she's a little more shy my oldest is exactly for all the times that I got teased or they made fun of me she does the exact same thing and I'm like okay come on we gotta go it's like well no she's having a conversation with a stranger yeah oh so, yeah no you're you're definitely my favorite kind of weirdo <laughs> <laughs> I take that as a compliment thank you <laughs> Thank you so much for talking to me about all of this. We're coming up, you know, on the anniversary. I think I was thinking about him. And when I think about him, I think about you. Mm. Um, I am a little speechless at at you saying yes, first of all, but just the connection that I feel that has been made with you. And I'm I'm incredibly grateful.
0: Me too. Me too. That
1: goes both ways. Absolutely. Like, thank you for reaching out to
0: me on May the 7th. 2021, you know, yeah. like that meant everything to me. It, y- you will never know what that meant to me. You have my gratitude and thanks forever, and and I'd really like to see your face in person, and I'd really like to know you. It we just, have to uh,
1: hug. I think there's a hug. That yes, needs to happen <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. The second we we're off of this, we are putting a date on our calendar. <laughs> Absolutely, I'm so down with that. Thank you from the bottom of my heart to Alexandra Golden. I always have to say her whole name because it's just so darn glorious. I'm not speechless often, but this conversation left me with so much pause. She was gracious and eloquent and giving and vulnerable and willing. Grateful doesn't even begin to describe how I feel. And let's just say she went in the joy jar. It's a testament to never really knowing where a connection will come from. It's funny when we find connection in strange places, but being in grief together with a stranger, it made all the sense in the world to both of us. There's no rules on how to grieve or how to process grief. I've become a firm believer in going where your heart tells you. I think that's what we both did here, and I hope that you take something from it. Of the estimated 4,000 suicide deaths in Canada each year, close to 75% are men. If you or anyone you know is experiencing suicidal thoughts, please talk to someone. In Canada, you can call 1-833-456-4566. Help is available 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year. You can also visit their website at TalkSuicide.ca. If you are in the U.S., call the National Suicide Prevention Line at 1-800-273-TALK. I promise you are not alone. Thank you for spending time with me today. Now go say something nice to someone. This is it, actually. Take a sip
0: and grab a seat, because this is it.